You guys know what this last Wednesday was? Ash Wednesday, yeah. Um, Ed Stetzer is uh, is a, a Baptist dude. We're we're a Baptist church, and he's a Baptist dude. And uh, and I, a thinker that I get a kick out of. I admire him. I think he's doing good work. And he tweeted out this week uh, on Wednesday. He said, "Happy Ash Wednesday, or as Baptists call it, Wednesday." <laughs> and I, <laughs> I kind of got a kick out of that. You know, we're I like I, one of the reasons I'm a good fit for a Baptist church is because there's a little punk rock in us. You know, there's a little like we do our own thing. There's a little like autonomy of the local church, and and we're not going to let church tradition and ter- church history tell us what to do. And yet, the church for about two thousand years has set this season aside that we might prepare our hearts for Easter. Um, and I'll talk about this in a minute later, but you know how we set aside time at Advent so that when we get to Christmas, it hasn't just been like, oh my gosh, is it Christmas already? But in church, we've been kind of walking through the story and we've been taking time to prepare our hearts. So in the middle of the shreds of paper flying everywhere on a Christmas Eve or a Christmas morning, there also might be some level of, you know, we as a church body, as a church family have been preparing to really celebrate the birth of Jesus. Well, I just have kind of a question as we enter. I'm gonna, we're we're gonna take a break from Luke and I'm gonna uh, preach a different little series here. And I, I don't know if it's, I'm a lousy topical preacher. So like it'll be topical in that we will find scriptures on that topic. But um, so I'm all for topical preaching as long as it's done exegetically. You know what I'm talking about? That was a Bible nerd joke. If you're not a Bible nerd, that, was, that one was rough. Um, Fenton thought it was funny. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we're going to walk through the spiritual disciplines. And I don't know if you just went, oh no, I wonder if another church has better donuts when I said that. But, but here's, really, here's really what I want to talk about. Like, do you guys want to pursue joy with me? Like, do you want to like know the path to joy? Not like the, hey, I wonder if we can do anything today to make some endorphins pop or chase dopamine today or whatever, but actually pursue some level of deep joy. Do you want to like, to, I, I, okay, I'm going to say this a couple times today probably. Um, between here and Easter, do you want to try? You know what I'm talking about? Do you want to like put you want to like put effort into our Christian faith? Do you want to like not just make this like let's hear some sermons and go, wow, that was good. Where's the buffet? But but actually like like go, hey, let's set this season aside to lean into our faith. And we don't have to ask how to do that. Actually, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus promised he'd return, and the church has laid out for us some really wonderful. Now, I'm going to say something that might be kind of tough for some of you. Practices, things you do. Now, I know, I know. That sounds very scary. That sounds like legalism or something, and we'll get to that. But I would like to spend the next several weeks talking about not what heretics have done, but what genuine, loving, Christ-following Christians have done to not only pursue joy, but to pursue depth in their relationship with Jesus. Because let me tell you this, pursuing Jesus and pursuing joy are the same thing. There's no joy outside a deep, oh, there's endorphins, there's adrenaline, 
But deep, long-standing joy is found in a relationship with Jesus. So we're going to talk about some practices, some things we do. And I'd just kind of like to give an introduction today. And many, you know, many times sermons are about things we think, things we learn intellectually. And I'm all for that. And especially in a crowd as massive as here at Lighthouse Baptist, we... I'm a big fan of like preaching the truth of the scriptures and then allowing you guys and the Holy Spirit to apply that to your life, right? And I think that's, that is the best way, at least from the pulpit. But, but the scriptures in church history have laid out for us not only things to believe, but also practices to adopt. When we say we're following Jesus, we're not just saying we think something. We're saying we have decided to live a brand new kind of life, a brand new way. And starting next week, we'll kind of look at four categories. There are things um, that have been laid out, some practices, some things we might do um, that would develop our private relationship with Jesus, some prayer closet stuff. Those things that Jesus said, do this and don't tell anybody about it. Do it in secret and your father will reward you in secret. That kind of stuff. It's private and some of these things are things that we stop doing, attitudes we change, things we put off, private things that we cut out of our lives. We'll talk a little bit about that. There are also some private things that we add on to our lives. Does that make sense? If you're going to live a brand new way, there's some things to move away from in your heart, private things, and there's also some things to move towards. Well, there's also some things publicly, things that other people could see, actually things that you can't do without other people to stop, to cut out, to put off, to take off, to put to death. And there are also some things that are public, singing, celebration, fellowship, that are things that we do with each other that are the path, not to making Jesus love you, but the path to really a life of joy because Jesus loves you. So in both those areas, like external things, internal things, private things, public things. There are things that we're called to get rid of, deny ourselves, to kill, to put to death. And there are things that we're called to put on, to live in, to mature in, and to grow in. There is negative action to Christian maturity. Are you with me? Things you don't do. And there is positive action to Christian maturity. Practices that you begin, both inner or private, external, and public. So I would like, I don't imagine I'm going to, uh, we're not talking about handling snakes or, you know, jumping off waterfalls or anything. We're, we're just talking, I don't think, I haven't studied all of it yet, but, um, but we're talking about things like prayer and meditation and fasting and giving and celebration and fellowship, things that it's very easy to go, yeah, 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 I know. But things that like the coach and remember the Titans said about his offense is like Novocaine. Sometimes it takes a while, but it always works. These practices that we so easily give up on, that the church has set aside for many, many, many years to say, hey, in this season leading up to Good Friday and Easter, why don't you pay special attention to your walk? Why don't you pay special attention to giving up some stuff as an act of worship? Why don't you pay special attention to adding some things as an act of worship. So I'll tell you why. Um, uh, not that my notes are confused today. I just want to tell you this. This is the, 
how harebrained your pastor is. I don't know how many points I have here, but I have them numbered one, two, five, six, six, and seven. So I don't know. I, I just saw that today. That was quite a week, I guess. I, I'm not sure. But real quickly, let me walk you through why God's put this on my heart. You know, I know I, I'm not the kind of pastor that says that very often. Hey, God's put this on my heart. Church, this is where I think we should go. I just don't say that. I kind of say, open up to Luke and let's learn it. But God has really put this on my heart. And I really do want to look at you and go, Lighthouse, I think this is the way we go. And I'll tell you why. First of all, because faith is about both doctrine and practices. And we talk a lot about doctrine around here. We talk a lot about a right way to think. It's about orthodoxy, right thought, and orthopraxy, right living. It's about doctrinal truth, truth that you would claim, truth that you would know, but it is also about living out those truths in lifestyle, in practices. We are, in, in nerdy churchy terms, we are confessional, not creedal. Which means we don't just say, see that creed, that's what defines me. No, we say, see that creed, see these list of truths, as I live that out, I prove who I am. As I live that out, I show you what I believe. It's not just, well, that's my favorite list of rules. But rather it's, I have a relationship with a Savior who is being formed in me, and I'm living out these truths every day. Also, because the disciplines lead to freedom and joy. The, it's discipline that leads to freedom and joy. It's discipline that leads to freedom and joy. I am a guitar player. I am not a musician. I can play a lot of different instruments, but I play them all very poorly because I'm not a disciplined musician. I like punk rock. You don't need a lot of discipline to start. Now, the best punk bands have great musicians in them. We can talk later. Don't get me distracted. But, um, but I learned three chords and kind of went, that, that'll do it. You know, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm a bass player. I'm never going to be a bass player, a good bass player, because I like to go, and I go, yeah, I'm rocking. This is great. I'm a drummer. Boom, 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 all day. That's all I know. I, I, got, I got three beats I can play in three tempos, and that's all I know how to do. And for church, for four songs, works great, right? <laughs> But there are some people that are actually musicians who have spent the hours and hours and hours and hours playing scales, hours and hours and hours learning theory, hours and hours and hours doing five-finger exercises, for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and it's those people that can sit down and are free, right? I have a tune in my head that I can never get out, but there are people who can sit down and grab a guitar, sit down at a piano, sit down at a drum kit, and play what's inside them. They have a freedom because they have been disciplined. Learning to paint, I assume, is like that. Learning any athletic endeavor is like that, where it is the things that happen in private, your private practices over and over and over and over and over, hours, 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 that shows up as freedom and joy once the whistle blows. And our faith is like that. 
that it is as we, with disciplined hearts, participate in spiritual practices over and over and over, not legalistically, not because God doesn't love us unless we do something, but because God loves us. As we learn to put these practices as part of our lives, we grow in freedom. We grow in joy. I have this labeled five. because <laughs> I think it's three. Because this conversation fits well with where we are in Luke. We'll pick up Luke again back up uh, at Easter. And you remember, we just started talking about Jesus being on the road from, um, from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And, and we talked last week about, hey, if we're going to be, the lead, to, to be great in the kingdom, to be the servant of all, we're going to have to, do you remember what we talked about? We're going to have to serve people who can't reciprocate the service, like kids. You got to get over there and teach Sunday school, but you don't like it. I know, but that's how you be the servant of all. You don't waste time um, with telling other people how to do work in the name of Jesus. Rather, you let weeds and wheat grow together, let Jesus figure it out, and you build the kingdom. When we are rejected, told we are wrong, told that we are bad names and people don't like us, that how we respond is with mercy and with hope. If you're going to live like that, you're going to have to do some training. There's going to have to be some spiritual practices. It doesn't happen on purpose. And this is the road, the path that has been laid out. We need some training on the road. Just walk with me over the next four weeks as the scriptures train us in these practices, just like those men walking with Jesus. And when Jesus said, or when they said, teach me to pray, Jesus didn't say, that sounds like legalism. No, he said, okay, here's how you pray. Next, I feel we, we, we're going in this direction because the disciplines are how we exercise our self-denying muscles. You know, I, I look at the church in the Ukraine right now. I'm just heartbroken. I'm just praying all the time. Are you praying all the time for, for people, for the church, look, that, that the church would, shine, would have a courage that I've never had to have? But you know what? Someday we might. God might call us to great sacrifice, either as a group or some of us individually. There might be times where we are going through things where it is very difficult to see God's love in this moment. And at that moment, we're going to need to have a history in the spiritual disciplines. We deny ourselves a little bit at a time so we can grow in the ability to deny ourselves greatly. I think as Paul talks about working out and exercising, we'll, we'll, we'll get to this in a minute too, but, but it's self-evident that if you want to be a power lifter, you don't just sign up for a meet and say, it's two weeks. Okay, I think I got it. No, but you say, I'm going to have to give up an effort that day that I've never given before. I should start small and I should start now. And it should be a long journey to being good at that. And your spiritual life is like that. We have to develop. Um, are you guys with me that Christians should just be a little tougher than we are? That when the world kind of falls apart, we shouldn't go, the sky is falling. That we shouldn't go, oh, no, well, let's divide and say I don't like them and just say our way is the only way. You know what I mean? Shouldn't we just be a little 
more sure of Christ's love than that? That takes discipline. It takes practice. It takes a road. We all need it. Also, we need to go through this journey together because the world needs deep people more than it needs smart people. The world needs some scholars. In fact, I talk all the time about you should be a Bible scholar. Don't just trust me. Good grief. Like, like figure it out. Like, you decide what is true and read good books. And there's podcasts out there. My gosh, you can like at, listen to Spurgeon and Tim Keller, that, like whoever you want. Like, like, go to the greats. Go listen to William Lane Craig and go figure it all out. Go get super smart. But you know what the world needs is deep people. People who can't just argue for something. But people like my grandma. My grandma was raised in Missouri and I think had a junior high education. And there was nobody that I trusted more to pray for me, trusted more with, a, with an opinion on my life. I remember some of the most key moments in my life um, where I had to make decisions. You know, we were deciding to move up here, leave Orange County where we had grown up and take a job up here. And on the way to the interview, we stopped by Bakersfield and Grandma's house because I needed her to pray for me. Now, Grandma was, you were not going to like get Grandma locked in a debate about the atonement. You know what I mean? But there was a depth to that woman, a love to that woman that came from morning after morning year after year, in prayer and meditation, in fasting and celebration, practicing the spiritual disciplines. And we need people, the world needs people that are not just smart, but that are deep, mature. We also are going down this direction because we're at a time in our culture's history, and quite frankly, we're at a time in our church's history that is unique, where we need a call to the disciplines. You know, I look at our culture, I look at the last two years, it's been a terrible two years in our culture. It's been very difficult. I imagine some of your jobs have never been harder. Um, I, I hear that uh, pastors are resigning at an alarming rate, and I go, yeah, <laughs> I get that. <laughs> like, I need the job, don't worry. But, um, but, yeah, it's been brutal. And we're just kind of coming out. We're just kind of at a time where we can look around and go, hey, what kind of church do we want to be? The, I think about our church two years ago. We had Sunday school, adult Sunday school. We sat around tables and we prayed together. It wasn't always super profound. We had a little curriculum that sometimes was good and sometimes wasn't. But it was Christian people sitting around tables at 9 o'clock or whatever, like praying for each other. And you knew that somebody was going to be there if you had a need. We had in-groups, home groups, where we went to people's, each other's houses and had Bible study and enjoyed just being together. And over the last two years, to survive, we, like a lot of churches, have had to pare down. We couldn't do that stuff anymore for a variety of reasons. And I know that the future doesn't look like the past. It would be foolish to just go, whatever we're doing in 2015, right back to it. Like, the world has changed. And as I think about what kind of church do we want to be, 
I think it has to start with a season of disciplines, a season of prayer, a season of fasting, a season where we don't go, what do you think? But a season where we go, how can we get as close to Jesus as possible? Amen. Lastly, not lastly in the sermon, we got a ways to go. <laughs> lastly, as why this is, this is the tip of the sword for right now is because Easter's coming. Resurrection Sunday is six weeks away. And I find it super meaningful to prepare our hearts in this time of year to celebrate the resurrection and like we celebrate Advent. Let's have Easter this year. And you know, I'm the worship leader right now. That's not great. I'm happy to do it. I love leading in worship, but we need God to send us a worship leader. I would love to start small groups again in people's homes. I'd love to start Sunday school. There's lots of things. And so Easter is just going to look like it always looks. It's just going to look like church because every weekend is Resurrection Sunday around here. It's all we do. Celebrate the resurrection. Got it. We like that. We're good at that. That's what we do. But let's not let Easter come and go with just only the stress of did we, were we able to afford a, afford a nice enough outfit. But rather, let's get to Easter. Let's get to Good Friday and break a fast. Let's get to Easter and celebrate, not just, oh yes, it's Easter, let's sing because he lives. But instead, let's have a season of preparation where there's some depth to our celebration of the resurrection this year. We need to do this not because the world is calm enough that now we have bandwidth to do it. We need to do it because the world is a mess. And when the world is a mess, you either freak out and run around like, like the sky is falling, or you go, I have to get as close to Jesus as I possibly can. And I think it's meaningful to do it together. Now, I know that there are some reasons we bristle at words like practices, like disciplines. They feel a little foreign to us. Again, it feels like legalism sometimes to say, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fast once a week or I'm going to, you know, give sacrificially or I'm going to, you know, wake up 45 minutes early to pray. I'm going to do these things. Oh, I have to do that to be a Christian. No, you have to do anything to be a Christian except give your whole life to Jesus. But if we understand our faith, not as legalism, not as these are the things we do in order to be you know, good enough for Jesus to love us. If we see our faith as a relationship with a loving Savior who has already done everything needed for us to be with Him, well, then we're not talking about earning. We're talking about deepening. We're not talking about salvation. We're already saved. We're talking about maturity. Is it legalistic to go home for Christmas? Is it legalistic to give your friend a birthday card? And I think the answer is sometimes. Sometimes you go, oh, geez, is this Joker's birthday again? Well, if I don't give him a card, I'll never hear the end of it. Here you go, oh, you're the best friend. Here you go. And some people view the practices like that. But if you really love your buddy, if you really love your friend and you go, man, I just want him to feel special. I just want to 
I just want to celebrate him today. I'm going to get a card, and I'm going to say, man, you're the coolest. I'm going to give it to him. Is that legalistic? No, that's a proper expression of love. Okay, so just another reason that we sometimes bristle, and I just want to say this. You'll, you'll notice <clears throat> I'm working really hard not to use the word Lent. Um, because we come, to, we come to a season of Lent from a lot of different places, right? Some of you go, Lent. That sounds like something that happened in my childhood that I didn't like. Something about fish on Fridays or something, I don't know. So we won't use the word, but we use the word Advent. And I'm not talking about anything that's associated with any other particular stream. Some of the things we'll talk about, you'll go, oh my gosh, you're talking about meditation? Doesn't that sound, that sounds kind of Eastern. No, uh, Christians have been meditating on Christ, on his word. We're told to do it from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and every era of church history. We'll talk about confession. You go, confession? I thought we were Baptists. Isn't that what Catholics do? And you go, actually, the scriptures would tell us that confession is very, very important. We'll talk about celebration. You might go, celebration? I don't want to get into this emotionalism. Why don't you tell your spouse, hey, I love you, but I don't want to get into this emotionalism. <laughs> of course you do. We're not talking about dipping our toe into other streams of, of uh, denomination or theological streams. Rather, we're talking about these wonderful, joy-filled, spirit-led practices that Christians have done since Jesus. And we'll acknowledge that maybe in our effort not to be legalists or not to give in to emotionalism or whatever, we might have given up on some of the spiritual disciplines. So instead of rejecting things, why don't we reclaim some stuff? Why don't we reclaim biblical path to joy? All right, so let's dig in a little. A couple of verses for you. Um, three, three, three things to tell you about the spiritual disciplines as we start this journey. First of all, spiritual disciplines are response. They are worship. We'll talk more uh, about this on Wednesday night. Um, I try to find a couple of times a year an opportunity to preach through this passage because uh, Psalm 116 is my favorite. I say that about like 10 places, but it might be my favorite, my favorite part of the Bible, my favorite Psalm. And it says this, what shall I, so this is Psalm 116, 12 through 14. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. We'll spend more time with this passage on Wednesday, but right here is the emotion, the sentiment, the awe that inspires every spiritual practice. What shall I give to God? What shall I render unto God for his great love for me is so very different than what do I have to do to be a Christian? We're not talking about what you have to do to be a Christian. Do you have to fast to be a Christian? No. Do you have to memorize scripture to be a Christian? No. Do you have to sing, to celebrate, to fellowship, to be a Christian? No. But how different is it to go, ah, what could I give to God for his great blessings? 
Do you see how we're pursuing joy? We're not saying, how do I, what do I have to do in order for Jesus to not be mad? Rather, we're saying, God loves me? Are you kidding me? Well, what could I do? The tomb is empty. There is hope. What could I render unto God for his great blessings to me? If our image of God is a judge with a clipboard, if God is in the sky going, well, then you probably shouldn't participate in spiritualism. (laughs) Start somewhere else. But if your picture of God is true, that he is a loving father who knows how to give good gifts to his kids, who has done everything so that you might be with him, then the spiritual disciplines are just worship. It's our lifestyle that is a response to that truth. We don't have to do anything. But if we are those who say, what could I render unto God? Then the only answer is that I'll worship with everything I've got. So the spiritual disciplines provide us a path for that. Two, the spiritual disciplines are a way. They are a path. They are a, a, a way to walk. Following Jesus, you know, is never supposed to be something we think. I talked about this a minute ago, but it has always been a direction we are walking. Think about um, the first believers. Uh, we're told in the book of Acts, the first believers were called people of the way. That's right. It wasn't a people of these thoughts or those thoughts. It was people who live a different way, who, who are behaving different. You think about those first um, few people who got called to follow Jesus. Was it set down your nets if you can agree with this five-point doctrinal statement? It was not. Now look, I am all for getting that doctrinal statement right. You know how much I love particulars and arguing theology. And yet, the call to follow Jesus was always get up and move. Just leave the tax collector's booth, man. They were called. So we are defined more by our practices than our beliefs. And you go, that doesn't sound quite right, does it? Certainly we are defined by what we believe. Did the Pharisees believe the right things? You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. It was their heart. Not their brain that was the problem. A call to discipleship is a call to follow, but... You know, you think about, okay, we just have to think the right things. We just have to to know the right things. Do the demons know Jesus? James would tell us the demons, they know him better than we do, right? And they have the common sense to tremble. Where we're like, oh, I'll see if I'll follow Jesus. They've seen his power. Are demons saved? (laughs) No, surely not. There's the story of the centurion who came to Jesus and and did so in a way that Jesus said he hadn't seen that kind of faith in all Israel. Now, he could not possibly have been the best Old Testament scholar in Israel. Are you with me? A Roman centurion comes to Jesus and goes, hey, will you heal my my kid? And Jesus goes, ah, you know, um, uh, why would you ask? And he goes, look, I'm a man of authority. I understand authority. You have authority. If you say it, it'll happen. And Jesus goes, this guy understands. It wasn't that he was an Old Testament scholar. It was that he acted in a way in line with what he knew about Jesus. 
And then there are passages like 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run so that you may obtain it. Does that sound like just something you think? No, run, move, exercise, do stuff so that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I think this is kind of the modern day version. Paul is like, look, a lot of us are like people who are fired up about getting in shape. Oh, we're going to get strong. We're going to, you know, this is the year. We're losing the weight and gaining the biceps. Triceps, here we come. And so we're like, I did it. I got the membership to the gym. And we're wandering around the gym going, I don't know how any of this works. Just kind of pushing stuff on the machines, you know, sitting backwards on it, pulling what you should be pushing. Walk, watching some guy walk by, like checking himself out in the mirror, and you're like, this isn't for me, I'm going to leave. It takes more than just a passion, that initial, this is the year. It takes training. You got to get in there and do it, little by little. I don't box like I'm beating the air. Then there's Philippians 3 that Carol read to us earlier. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, Paul talking, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. So it starts that Jesus has made me his. That's it. I'm not trying to earn anything. But brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, uh, anything... Uh, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in this. It's pretty easy. Here's the thing. It's pretty easy for us to feel like salvation was the finish line. I got saved. You're going to heaven. When you, when you asked, when you made a commitment to, to your faith, Maybe your youth pastor said something like, you never have to do this again. Once and for all, Jesus died for you. You are saved right now for the rest of your life. Was that true? But that was the starting line of your faith, not the finish line of your faith. We are born again. You don't look at the baby and go, we did it. <laughs> this baby doesn't have to do anything. No, there's a lot of growing to be done. There's a pressing on. And I think that we, we stray, for, or we, we don't lean into the spiritual disciplines many times because of all the stuff I said. It feels like legalism. You go, ah, maybe that's another brand of Christianity or whatever. Um, but also I think is because we get fired up and we go, I'm going to get closer to Jesus. And you go, I'm going to pray and read my Bible. But then you kind of are wandering around the gym going, but how? Nobody taught me this. That's why Paul says, hey, look at me. Join in imitating me. Now elsewhere, Paul is going to say, look, you're not acting like spiritual people at all because you're following me instead of Jesus. How do you, how do you jive with those? Well, you jive with it by, if, we're, if our eyes are on Paul, we're wrong. But if our eyes are on Paul as he's following Jesus, so we learn how to follow Jesus like him, then we're doing it right. 
if our eyes are on the spiritual disciplines and we're having spiritual practices just for the sake of having spiritual practices, we're wrong. But if these are tools that we're using so that we can get closer to Jesus, well, then we're growing. Keep your eyes on those who are further down the line, Paul says. The spiritual disciplines are practices that church for the last 2,000 years has laid out. We might use them to press on, to run that we might gain this imperishable reward. Okay, lastly, spiritual disciplines are transformational. Like, I don't know how else to say this. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to grow? Do you want Christ to be formed in you? Do you think that's magic? Do you, do you think you just ask Jesus into your heart or something, and then you go on and you live exactly like you always lived, and then you go, why am I not growing in the Lord? That'd be like going, hey, uh, I promised Tiffany to be your husband, live with you and whatever. All right, Grant, I promise to live you and love you. And I, and I do. Now you're married. And we go out the church doors and head in separate directions and spend no time together at all. And then 10 years later, we go, I just don't, I just don't feel close in this marriage. And you go... Probably not. See, in the same way that if you don't feel close to your spouse, I got an idea. Try date night. Like, turn off the TV and look at her. Talk. Implement some disciplines. Set aside some time. If you feel like it's a struggle to deepen your walk with the Lord. How about date night? How about setting aside some time? How about giving some things up? How about putting some things on? I appeal to you, Romans 12, 1 through 2, this is pretty familiar. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, uh, A life of transformation begins with God. It doesn't begin with us. Paul says, this is all by the mercies of God. Look, we are not going to say anything about you're in control. This is you that's going to do it. You can, can grow in anything. It's all God's mercies. And yet, as he's extended his mercies, do you want to take advantage of it? You want to say thank you and learn to love him back? It's, it's by the mercies of God, and also our, it, it's our response to God's mercy is to present our bodies as living sacrifices. You know, I, I, I come back to fasting, and fasting has been super important in my life, and I, I'll, I'm sure I'll talk about this more, but I've struggled with food my whole life. I don't know if you can tell by looking. I know that's a big shock. And and it's been fasting that has been the source of joy. It's been saying, no, I always say, and I'll, I'll, I should save this for when we talk about fasting, I think, next week. But I always say it like this, like, don't fast to, like, bend God's arm. Like, not, I'm going to fast, and so God has to give me stuff. No, it's rather this. Do you have a hard time thinking about God during the day? Ah, don't eat. You'll think about God. It's not a whole lot more complicated than that. But we look at that and we go, how could we? Oh my gosh, that sounds ancient or it sounds just downright medieval. How could I possibly? Okay, I'm with you. It's hard. But I just read this thing that said to present your bodies as living sacrifices. So if it's not fasting, what is it? 
Like at some point, you should be able to point to something and go, I have died to myself. And this is a practice that I demonstrate that. I don't want to be a cultural Christian. (laughs) I don't want to be an occasional worshiper. I want to worship every breath. I want to worship all the time. I want to give myself like a living sacrifice every moment. I want to live a life of worship where I give everything to God and I get everything He has for me. So this is a process of refusing to submit to the practices of this world, looking around and going, how's the world telling me to live? And rejecting that and instead saying, how can I demonstrate my appropriate act of worship, which transforms us, makes us wise, helps us understand what God thinks. So, to conclude, this time I mean it. This is a pivotal time in our church as we come out of the last couple years. It's a pivotal time in our city. It's a pivotal time in our neighborhood. It's a pivotal time in our world. We don't and the, the, the pastor in me, like the youth pastor in me especially, because we need some programs. And we do. We, we need to do more stuff. But we don't need to start with programs. We need to start with depth. We need to start with really loving Jesus, with depth of our relationship with Him. So again, all I'm really saying is, hey guys, For the next six weeks, you want to give it a shot? (laughs) You want to try? You want to put on some stuff? You want to take off some stuff? We're not striving for God's approval, but let's put special energy into the stuff we already believe. Let's sacrifice and grow and try spiritual disciplines that we haven't tried before or grow in the ones we already love. I'm sure you have practices already. Let's waste our time and attention on Christ and His majesty and see if at the end of that we don't find out that that was the only part of our day that wasn't wasted. So here's the plan. Go home and pray. Think about it. You know, Google some stuff. Um, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline changed my life when I was like 22 years old. It's a pretty good book. You can start there. But also, I don't know if you noticed on the back, we have a map. This is our neighborhood. We did this a few years ago. Um, But this is Hilby to Canyon Del Rey, Fremont to General Jim Moore. This is the place God has given us to pray for. And I wonder if between here and Easter, as you would feel led, you could adopt a street. And then also adopt your street. And here's what that might look like. I would encourage you to, there's clipboards in the back. And again, maybe not this week. Go home and, go home and sleep on it. But there's clipboards in the back with, uh, I think, every street in this neighborhood. There's a lot of them. More of them than there are people in the room. And you could put your name on that street and you could take the tag off of the map and thank Tiffany. That is 1,000% Tiffany's effort back there. Um, Um, you could take that tag and that could be your street for the next six weeks. And you could, as you fast and pray, you could pray for the people on that street. 
You could drive by it on the way to church. You're coming here anyway. You're coming to this neighborhood anyway. Or you could drive by it uh, down that road after church. Um, and you could just pray. God, I pray for the people in the pink house with the obnoxious dog. Lead them to you. And let's be clear. I don't really care about growing Lighthouse. I mean, I'd love it. It'd be funner with more people, I guess. But what I care about is loving this neighborhood, loving Seaside, loving your street. So adopt a street. There's cards back there. And again, not this week. We're just getting into this. But pray about it. There's cards back there that, are, uh, that say, hey, we're praying for you. Um, this would cost you one stamp per house. But it says just on it, hey, we're praying for you. If there's anything specifically, prayer at lighthousebaptist.net. You could send us an email and we'll pray. And we will. We'll send it out on the prayer chain and we'll all pray. And then you could just say, hey, maybe we'll look forward to meeting you sometime. God bless you, Grant and Tiffany. You'd have to drive by the house to get the address. Then you could mail it feels kind of weird. Spiritual disciplines do. But what if we just took six weeks to pray for our neighborhood? What if, what if in the next six weeks you adopted practices of sacrifice? You adopted practices of celebration and you prayed for people that you don't know. Would that be a meaningful six weeks? It's in the back. <laughs> Tiffany already did. We have a great name for a church. You want to be it? Me too. Why don't I leave you there? Think about it. Pray about it. Let's participate in some spiritual disciplines, not because the person in the pew next to you is doing it, unless it's your spouse. Go ahead and do it together. But let's not participate in spiritual disciplines because God will love us more. How would he do that? <laughs> what else could God do to love us more? But rather, let's love him back with our whole heart and see if that doesn't produce in us peace and joy. Because I read somewhere that a life that the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, and joy, comes as we walk in step with him. This is how we do it.